Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And here at Mercy Fellowship, we say that we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. And so um, uh, I, don't want, I won't be the first to say it, but happy Mother's Day. Glad you guys could join us for that. Exciting to get to see some baby dedications and families saying, hey, we want to raise our children up uh, in the Lord. Uh, and, and the affirmation of the church to say we will do likewise is awesome. Um, and so today, though, we're just going to continue our series that we began a couple weeks ago in the book of 1 John called Abide, Life in Christ, Life with Christ. And so hopefully um, you have a scripture journal. Uh, we're gonna be in 1 John chapter two today um, as well. You can get one of our discipleship guides uh, and we'll be on week three. So that'll let you know week three uh, in this book. We just wanna make sure um, that we've got God's word in your hands and that you guys are equipped to know where we're going in our sermon series. And so this, this series, um, really uh, is based off this sermon, this letter that John, this pastor in his 90s, is writing to the church that he helped plant, uh, likely in Ephesus. And as he's kind of like, like an old grandfather, he's saying, hey, as I pass on this truth of the gospel to the next generation, he's like, I've got some concerns uh, about maybe how they're applying it or understanding it. I want to make sure sure uh, that they're rooted in gospel truth. So like the baby dedications that we just did, like, hey, we want to transfer the truth of the gospel to the next generation. And as he's doing that, really this, this sermon, this whole letter, it, we said it's kind of like a poetic sermon. Um, he's really trying to get people to ask the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Or am I a Christian? that he's okay with and we should be okay with visiting a place of tension to ask ourselves, hey, what's my spiritual condition? Like, like what's my eternal destination? How does that apply to my life today? How does it change who I am today? So this, this letter in 1 John uh, opens up with talking a bit uh, about identity um, and, and just you know knowing um, that, that everything that we have comes from the Lord and that we have fellowship with God and his people. Uh, and then last week, um, you know, he really drilled down and addressed uh, just the topic of sin and the ways that we lie uh, to ourselves and others about sin and the remedy that God has provided for us in Christ. And so he said in those first uh, chapter one, he said a couple things. One is that I'm writing this, he says, so that you can have complete joy, that your joy would be full. And then he says later in chapter two, I'm also writing this or I'm preaching this or I'm teaching this so that you may not sin. We said last week those two are inextricably tied together, that where sin is present, joy is diminished. Where sin is repented of, joy can flourish. And so today, we're going to be in verses um, 3 through 11. You can turn your Bibles there. Um, but as we're thinking about that, um, I want you to know that um, as we talk about this topic today that is abiding in obedience, abiding in obedience, that before we say anything else, like I don't want you to think that somehow God is expecting you 
or me or us to be perfect. No, God knows we're not perfect. God does not require perfection from us, but he does require humility. Because see, Jesus Christ is perfect in our place. So if you are a Christian, then God is seeing Jesus' perfection in your place. And so, if we wrestle with this idea, you know, of sin, of obedience, of life with Christ, what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? John desperately does not want his church to be marred any longer by sin, and he doesn't want to see the gospel lower a bar around sin and obedience. Instead, he wants to see the bar raised on freedom and flourishing for people who've been enslaved to sin. And so, um, I'll, just, I'll just read the verses, we'll get into it. John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 to get started. He says, And by this, and by this we know that we have come to know him, meaning Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, Oh, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So these, these first verses uses this word abide. I just want to make sure we define that, that. That abide means to not depart, to be held and kept continually, to endure, to not perish, to remain as one, to survive, to endure, and ultimately to live. And so he's setting up right away this question for us, are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus or are you just a fan? Do you, do you know a lot about Jesus or are you known by Jesus? See, um, uh, some of you guys know this. I'm a huge Husky football fan right? Um, and so, like, last year beating Oregon was fantastic. Um, and so, um, you know, we had some rough, rough years, though. Like, we had an 0-12 year. That is not good. That's, you lost all the time, even to little tiny schools like Montana, right? Uh, and so, we were terrible. And, and, and I, I wanted us to get a new coach, and I longed for us to get a new coach. And, and the, the, the coach I had my eye on was this guy named Chris Peterson, Okay, and he became the coach of the Huskies um, in, in like 2014, 2015. I was so excited. I pledged my allegiance to our Lord and Savior, Chris Peterson, for the Savior of the Husky football program. I was super excited. And then it was like the results were kind of so-so for a while. But I was like, no, no, I think this is the guy. Like, he's won at Boise State before, and like, Boise's not even a state. Like, that's not even like, like, that's not even like a real school. Uh, and so he did really well there. I'm like, no, he, I have faith in Chris Peterson. He's going to turn it around. And then 2016 happened, and we got to play Alabama in the national championship playoffs. Like, it was a great year. We beat Oregon like 70 to 4. It was amazing. And I was like, yes, my Lord and Savior has delivered us from evil, and we've, we've now walked in to the, the, the pools of good water and, and all this thing. And so, so I'm at an airport um, around that time and uh, uh, down in Los Angeles, and I'm with my wife, and I was like, babe, that's Chris Peterson. And she said, don't talk to him. And I was like, I, and I heard, go talk to him. So I went and talked to him. And I was like, 
Chris Peterson, my name is also Chris. Like, I love you so much. Thank you for what you're doing for the Husky program. Um, we hadn't beaten Oregon yet. I was like, but please beat Oregon, you know. And, and, you know, I got my picture taken with him. Like, it was my Facebook profile picture. Like, I got rid of the kids, got rid of the wife, put on me and Chris Peterson there. And, and, and you know, he's like smiling with that smile of like, who is this guy? When is he going to stop talking to me? Um, and so I was so excited. And I love, I told him, I said, hey, I love that you want to train men. I love that you have this built for life program uh, and all these things. I had my moment with Chris Peterson and, um, and, I, and I was forever changed. Um, and so, uh, but, but, but the reality is he doesn't know me. I know a lot about him. I can tell you even more about him if you want to chat longer about college football offline. I know it's Mother's Day. Who wants to talk about college football? But like, I don't know him. I don't know, no, he doesn't know me. I don't follow his built for life plan. I, I'm not really a disciple of his. I mean, sure, when the team wins, I say we won, even though like, I, I don't, can't even do a 40 yard dash, right? Like, like you know, I, like I'm part of the, I think I'm part of the team. I, I, I like the statuses on Instagram. I'm sharing out the cool graphics that they're doing, all that stuff. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm on the team, but like, no, I'm not really on the team. I'm not a disciple, I'm a fan. And I think a lot of us have relationships with Jesus like that. Where we're like, well, I had, I had my moment, I had my moment at the camp with Jesus. I, I had my moment you know, on Easter with Jesus. I had my moment where that one sermon impacted me with Jesus, but, but I don't follow his built for life plan. And like, like, maybe I can like share out like, yeah, here's that one time I hung around with Jesus people and we all together, we're all wearing the jersey together and we're all cheering and, and we're all like, all that thrills my soul is Jesus. That was great, by the way, Garrett. Awesome, it was good to see, see that this morning. But like, we're just fans. We're, we're we're not really on the team. No, what Jesus is saying, what John is saying is, is you need to be a disciple of Jesus more than a fan, like more than just knowing about him from a distance. He's like, if you want to say in verse three that you know him and you've come to know him, like the marker is going to be not, do I have my picture taken with him? Can I quote some stats about him? You know, can I, can I share some of his quotes? Can, can I revel in his victories? Do you follow his commandments? Do you walk in the way he's called us to walk? Is your whole identity found in him? That's the tension he wants us to walk in for a bit. Like, who are you actually playing for? See, John knows that his church wants some insurance and some clarity about like, what does it mean to abide in Christ? Like you know, these people, they're a couple generations removed from Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. And, and John's starting to see all sorts of wonky teaching come into the church. And so he's just like trying to, trying to reset, kind of get everybody refocused for a minute. And what I love that John doesn't just give false hope, like, well, we're all God's children. He doesn't give blanket affirmation. God loves you just the way you are, never change. Like, if you're a jerk, you should change, right? If you're walking in sin, you should repent. If you're on a path towards destruction, you should not walk that path any longer. And so instead, like, it feels good to say things 
You know, like, you know, like we're all God's children and, and, you know, God loves you just the way you are. No, he, he loves you as you are, but we believe in, a, in God's love that is transformative, that changes who you are as you find and hide your identity in Christ. And so he wants Christians to examine their lives in light of this. And so there's a couple reality checks that he throws out there. Maybe just for you this morning uh, and for the rest of our time, maybe you could just, uh, when I, when I kind of throw out a few key statements, you can maybe look at those as maybe just a self-assessment of am I a fan or am I a disciple? He says we can know that we know Jesus if we keep his commandments. See, we'll know we're Christians not merely by what we believe or claim to believe. Um, and, and John's already in the first chapter. You can go back and I mean, he's laid out some pretty orthodox views on like, this is what it means to be uh, a Christian, uh, right? Um, but this big idea through the text, John uses the word command or commandment 14 times in the book of John. Like, like this is a mega theme in this sermon as he's preaching to these people. It's a little bit more clarity. So when we say, hey, keep the commandments, keep the command, it's not just to, to know them, but to actively adhere to them, to engage with them. And so, again, we might think wrongly that means we're to live perfect lives. Like, no, no, that's not what God's calling us to, uh, right? We, um, if we know Jesus, because, I mean, like, can we just be f- fair? Like, if you've got some idea that, that your life in Christ and with Christ was, I was a sinner, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, apart from God, I need to be reconciled to God, uh, and then you become a Christian, you get baptized, and you're like, and I'm done sinning now. Like, like good luck. Like, just, just hang out with some other Christians for a while. And like, the veneer of we're the perfect people goes away real, real quick. Like, 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 you could just maybe hang around my family for a little while. Like, if we had a reality show, first of all, nobody would watch it because of, like, the big giant Mormon van. Like, nobody's interested, right? But you'd be like, do they even love Jesus? Do they even like them each other? We have our moments. And then we have our moments. But, th- but that's life. Like, we, we don't walk in perfection, and, and, and none, of, none of us perfectly keep our commandments, but the test is not one of perfection, it's one of orientation. Is your heart's orientation and desires to walk in the commands of Jesus? Do you have new desires? Are you comfortable walking in sin? Um, the great reformer John Calvin on commenting on these verses says it this way. He says, saying this is what John means. He says, he does not mean that those who wholly satisfy the law keep his commandments. And no such instance can be found in the world. What he's saying is nobody's perfect. But those who, here's a tough word for us, strive. But those who strive according to the capacity of human infirmity. I love that. He's like, you're moving, you're striving according to human infirmity, your own brokenness, to form their lives in obedience to God. The question to ask yourself is, do you have any obedience to God? 
No obedience to Jesus means not on the team. You might have, have the jersey, uh, you might cheer on the team, you might tell others on your team, but if you don't follow the commandments, you're not on the team. Um, several years ago, I think it was, it was 2017, um, this Instagram account got really big. It's this guy named Ricardo Agnet. Um, and there's all, all, he had this new Instagram account, uh, a bunch of pictures uh, of himself, um, uh, like in a Miami Dolphins jersey. He's a really big dude, so he's got like pictures of him in, in the, the stances of like the football players. Right? He's, he's got pictures of him blocking uh, other people. Um, and, and he had a picture of him signing a contract with the Miami Dolphins, literally hashtag blessed. Okay? He, he went to a Maserati dealership and told him that he was part of the Miami Dolphins. And so that Maserati dealership said, we're so excited to have Ricardo Agnet from the Miami Dolphins here at our Maserati dealership. There's a catch. Maybe you've guessed it. He was not on the team. He did not get drafted. He was not a football player. He was just a big dude with a jersey that wanted to impress the ladies. Not on the team. He said he was, but he's, what's the word? I think they used the word here in this text. Yeah, verse four. I know him, but doesn't keep the commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. See, there's no truth, John is saying, in someone who professes Jesus, but never follows or obeys Jesus. And so the reason that John can say that that person's a liar is because they're claiming this false gospel that somehow you can be saved from your sins by the work of Jesus on the cross, but the resurrection of Jesus only somehow like secures your eternity and does nothing for you today. Like we believe in a God who had enough power to raise Jesus from the dead. We believe that same resurrection power as Christians can help us walk in a new life that includes obedience, that includes actually breaking chains of addiction, that includes walking away from sin, that includes walking in new and flourishing life. See, we just believe that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, that he can bring new life to us too. That we can be empowered to follow, to keep, to obey the commands of Jesus, to love God and to love people. That, that put simply, the love that saves us changes us. That's why we say things like we're saved by Jesus' work, but also changed by Jesus' grace. So like, I just want you to ask yourself, like what team are you claiming? How does that contrast with what your life actually looks like? What life are you saying is all about Jesus, but is really yours? Okay. See, um, maybe you're like, no, no, actually I do, I do follow the commands of Jesus. Maybe you're like, yeah, no, I'm, in, I'm all in on love God and love people. Maybe you're like, you know, I do follow, I do keep his words. Like, like just know, like, like, like I, if your self-assessment comes back, and, and, and you're like, hey, no, I, I used to walk in this addiction and I don't anymore. Like, like, seriously, praise God. If you've got seasons of sobriety, praise God. If you've got, like, patience that, like, surpasses all understanding, praise God. Like, that actually, we do believe, is a miracle. The Holy Spirit really does change lives and changes hearts. 
So even in our successes, it's an opportunity for humility. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing in my life. It's not another opportunity for pride of, oh, I don't need to follow commandments, or, oh, I am, I'm just following them really, really well. See, God's love, it says here um, in, uh, what does it say here? Um, it says that his love in verse five, the love of God is perfected. What that means is that God's love is perfect towards us and it's perfecting because it's a love that is corrective. It's a love that convicts us of sin. It's a love that comforts us in the gospel. It's a love that corrects and reorients us towards greater obedience. Like John's still saying, no, no, you're loved by God and you can in part know that you're loved by God if you are being corrected by God, right? It's Mother's Day and like I don't think we'd say like a really loving mother is one that never corrects her kids, right? I'll make sure to say something on Father's Day to you. It's fine. Ladies, what'd you guys get? You guys got like lip balm and lavender? I mean, I don't know. The guys are gonna have to get like, you know, bacon and ammo or something uh, next month, so... It's like one little, okay, all right. We're not doing that. Whoever says they live for Jesus, we live because of Jesus. It says we're held and kept by Jesus continually. That's what it means to abide in walking in the way Jesus is walking. And so, like, that should lead us. It says, hey, you can walk like Jesus. So that means you can walk in gentleness and boldness. You can walk in humility and in confidence. You can walk in compassion and conviction. See, we are the branch. He is the vine. We will be changed. And so, like John, I don't want us as Christians to think that somehow God's love affirms sin. No, what God's love does is it empowers obedience And God's love through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ overcomes our sin. All right, next verses. Keep rolling. Verses seven and eight says this. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him, And in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. We can say that's confusing, right? A little bit, a little circular. Wait, it's not old, it's new, it's not new, whatever. We'll we'll get into it. First, though, I want you to say, like, as he's starting with these new verses, he wants all of us to be reminded of our identity. Hey, if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, if you're on the team, know that you're not like a football player waiting to get cut, but no, you're on the team forever and you are beloved. Like, I, I think sometimes when we read the New Testament, we see Paul or we see John, a verse like beloved and it starts a sentence. We just think like that's just like a nice greeting or just like, like word filler. Like they both had word counts to fill out when they were writing these letters. Nobody else has had assignments like that. We're like, I think it's 300 words, but I think I got 200 words that I could say. No, beloved, he's like, hey, I've just hit you with some hard truth. Take a deep breath. Remember your beloved. And then he says, hey, I'm not writing you anything new. That new commandment is to love God and love people the way that God defines love. 
And you can look throughout the Old Testament, and you can see that ratified over and over and over. You can see Jesus, when, when people are coming up, hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What's the most important thing? And Jesus is like, hey, love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a mega theme throughout all of Scripture. So John, John doesn't even say, I don't think, yeah, he doesn't even say those specific words here. He just says, you know the commandments. You know it's love God and love people. That God has prescribed, that's what obedience looked like from the beginning of history. And all through the Bible, it's been restated, renewed, and reminded. And so, I mean, with that, God hasn't like moved the goalposts on us. The target's been the same. So John's preaching and he's writing and he's discipling people in the gospel for a few decades. And he's like, hey, you've heard this all before. I'm just reminding you. Because he knows we can forget. See, John's referencing what Jesus t- teaches here. Um, John 13, 34, this is Jesus talking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And so, like I said, that, that, like, that doesn't sound like it's new because it's all through the Old Testament. So did John and Jesus like, just forget? Like, did, did John skip like, Bible school when he was growing up? No, I'm pretty sure Jesus knows God's word too. No, we've been told forever to love God and love people, but if you ever just study human history, It's like a multiple millennia long documentary of humanity's failure to love God and love one another. And God knows this. And particularly, I mean, the Old Testament, man, it's just savage. Like, I don't, you know, I mean, like, all of the Old Testament's like TVMA, right? Like, you can't let your kids read half of it. Like, I just love little Bible stories that are always like, like, look, there's an ark. It's like, do you know why there was an ark? They flooded everything. (laughs) See, God knows that we're not able to do that successfully on our own, to love God and love people, so he sends Jesus. That's why Jesus showing up and actually like living the perfect life is important. Jesus did perfectly love God and love people. Not just passively like he didn't sin, Jesus did not sin. But he was active. I mean, God, I mean, his outward love, love that healed the sick, love that cast out demons, love that freed people from spiritual bondage. He forgave sin. We love that. And he told sinners, go and sin no more. That was part of the way Jesus loved people to call them into obedience, to call them away from sin. And in love, it says, Jesus went to the cross and died self-sacrificially. So Jesus, with his perfect life, he's fulfilled the commands of God the Father. And so when Jesus, and then John says, this commandment to love people has been perfect in Jesus, that's true. So that means when our identity is in Christ, it's true in us. That's the way God sees you. He sees perfect Jesus in your place. Not as a cover-up for you to keep sinning, but to help empower you to walk in obedience, knowing there's grace and mercy when you do sin. 
And so the reason that Jesus and John both call these commandments new is not because they've never been taught before, but because there's finally a new possibility. Like, like in the Old Testament, it's just like, hey, you had the law and that's it. And you either, you either hit the mark or you didn't. And yeah, there's sacrifices and, and, and God like made some arrangements for that so, that so that people could stay in communion with God. But what he's saying here, the reason Jesus and the reason John can say this is a new commandment is because now it's tied to a new possibility. You can actually do this now, empowered by the Holy Spirit. No, not perfectly, but pointing to the perfection that's in Jesus Christ. So the church and Christians, we can call one another to love God and to love people. We can encourage ourselves to love God and love people. And he says, hey, you know, this is true in him and it's true in you because your identity is in Christ. And, and then this last phrase in verse eight says, the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. See, see, before there was this period of darkness, there was this period of sin individually and societally. And so like, like, like good luck, like the, you can read through the book of Judges. And it's just this constant cycle of God's people failing over and over and over again. And so Jesus enters history as this transition point where, where like the sun actually is beginning to rise, but darkness is still present. And so like, I mean, I got to watch the sunrise this morning. I slept very badly last night. We don't have air conditioning, so I think my house was like 427 degrees, right? I don't know what yours was. Maybe you have AC. Maybe we'll all come take a nap at your place later, um, right? And so like, I'm just like wide awake. And so I, I went out and, and I watched the sunrise over the mountains. And, and, right, and what happens when the sun rises is, is the light's showing up and you're excited about the light showing up. But, but what happens when a sun rises o- over something like mountains, right? Long, long light beams, boom, penetrating into the darkness. Like, like we live in a world that has light that is penetrated. But what else happens as a sun rises? long, long shadows of darkness. And that's the complexity of the world that we live in now. The sun is risen, he's shining, darkness is over, being overcome by light, and yet there's still shadows. First John 1, 4, 5, talking about the arrival of Jesus, says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. So there's going to be these long shadows of darkness. There's going to be times where it seems like darkness is winning, but I want us as Christians to have some hope, realizing that the sun is rising. Those shadows are going to get smaller as the light beams overcome the darkness, that the light team does win. The darkness does lose. And so like this is time for you to say, hey, I don't want to just be a fan of the light. I want to be on team light. I want to get on the field and fight for light. And and like what's, what's great about that is like you don't have to worry about how you perform in that. Because you know, if I'm on the light team, they win. So we're going to win. I missed the tackle, it's fine. We got a safety. He's great. Right? All the football analogies. I'm trying to get into hockey. It's all right. F- baseball is just, give me the football. Okay? Right? Now the light team is winning. And as bright as the light of 
life for men and women is found in Jesus. It shines all these different areas in the world. And so I just, like, part of asking yourself, are you a Christian, is how do you see the world? If you see it, as darkness is always winning, there's always something to be fearful of. There's always something to be concerned about. Like, you know, be realistic. But as Christians, we're not called to be pessimistic. Absolutely be realistic about sin in the world. Absolutely fight injustice. Absolutely fight for the unborn. Absolutely fight for sexual purity. Absolutely, like, fight for human flourishing. Yes and Amen but do not fear that somehow darkness wins. Do not allow yourself to fall into despair. It means we don't throw our hands up when we see darkness and the sin in the world. We're saying, no, no, I understand there's darkness and sin in the world, but that shadow's gonna get smaller and smaller and smaller. Because we know who wins. Because we know who wins. And so for us as Christians, we don't have to wait for some future time of utopia when we die or we're perfected in glory. No, we get to be empowered and commissioned to live for, for, for Team Jesus like, like right now. It means you get to begin to shine light into the world that you are in. And maybe you've got some big global issues that like you're really excited about. Right? Maybe there's big geopolitical things you're worried about and all that. And, like you want to make a dent in that. I mean, maybe. Like, like go ahead, you can pursue that. But, but I absolutely believe that, that more than any other place, the place that we need to see light shine in first is in our own hearts. That our hearts need to be warmed by the light that is Jesus. So they can be hearts that then reflect out the light and life of Jesus. Which means in our families, we have to be people that ask for forgiveness that are kind to one another, tender-hearted, and then forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. In our schools, in our jobs, in our communities, like, like whatever your sphere of influence, like, like you might not have a massive influence uh, and impact in the world, but I, I absolutely believe that every one of us has a massive influence and impact on another. Start shining light there. You know, the first place the light needs to overcome darkness is not some out there, like, social justice, you know, campaign, but it's in your own heart. And, and, and John gets really specific, actually. He says, what's your heart towards the church? Before you worry about all of societal's ills, how are you getting along with your brothers and sisters in Christ? So these are the last verses. These are the last questions. How do we see ourselves in the church? Where's our heart towards our brothers and sisters in Christ? Verses 9 through 11, last verses, and then we close. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother or brothers and sisters is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
loving God and loving people sounds really good and really easy until we start actually interacting with other people. Because it's easy for us to love theoretical people, right? An idealized version of people, maybe an, an idealized version of the church. It's very difficult to love actual people, to love the actual expression of the church that you are a part of. Because like you see the sin, like you've been wronged or you've wronged others. And so I, I see a sad and I think growing movement among those who've been part of churches for a long time or maybe claimed to be on Team Jesus for a long time that, that, that just walk away from the church don't gather anywhere. Like, like, good luck growing if you're not gathering. Good luck loving one another if you're never among one another. And they say things like, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Well, like, Jesus loves his church. And I know Jesus loves his church because the Bible's clear that Jesus died for the salvation of his church. It says Jesus died and his sacrifice purchased the bride, the church. And so it's very easy to go on team darkness and start firing away at the church because it looks like then you're on the winning team. But here John's saying, no, no, you've, you're just saying, I'm, I'm part of that team right there. I'm just firing away at them. He's saying, no, no, actually, you're, you're walking in darkness. Now let me be clear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying where there's abuse in churches it shouldn't be exposed. I'm not saying where there's poor leadership, right? Things need to change. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying that you haven't been hurt by other Christians or even hurt by the church. But there's a switch that happens where you go from, hey, I, man, I, I'm, this, is, this is family and it's dysfunctional, but Jesus loves them, to forget those guys. They're the enemy. They're the enemy. Oh no, not, not a world walking in total darkness. Not a world sprinting towards destruction. Not, not a world where life is not valued. Where identity is not found in Christ, but in your sexuality or gender identity. No, 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 not, not them. Not on the world that denies the creator, but, but says that we can fix creation. No. That's John's final test. He's saying you don't get to say you're on the team and hate the team. Right, sometimes like, I mean, fans, right? Fans are critical, right? So like, I mean, you know, Seahawks win a Super Bowl and we're like, yeah, but they lost the second one, you know? Like we get, like it's okay to be a little critical of your own team. But if somebody else starts making fun of your team, you're like, no, 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 that's my team. Instead, it's transferring your allegiance over. And what John says here in these verses, and it's really challenging, you hate your brother, you're in darkness. You hate brothers and sisters in Christ, you're in darkness. You don't know where you're going. And then, he, and then what's interesting is he doesn't say, and this is important, he doesn't say, so darkness is winning. He's saying, no, no, the light's still shining. Team darkness is still going to lose. Shadow is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The only thing that's changed is not that somehow you want one on the dark team because they're winning and it's going to be great for everybody. No, what has happened is you said, no, no, I'm not on this team anymore. I, I hate my brother and sister in Christ. 
And, and now it says very clearly in verse 11, your eyes are blind. So like the church and brothers and sisters in Christ might be loving each other really well. The gospel community might be really, really flourishing, but you can't see it because you've been blinded by bitterness and hate. And that's a very, it's a very scary place to be. Right, because you have conversations with your friends and your family around these types of things, and, and man, they've got, they, they, you can just hear, you start talking about the church, and just, oh, you know, the bitterness comes up, the anger comes up. And it says it's scary because you're just, you're just blindly walking around, and you're gonna stumble, you're gonna, you're gonna fall. You're gonna start hurting other people, actually. What happens is that you've got a heart of bitterness and your eyes are blind. And you know, I had a friend ask me, like, well, what do, you, what do you say to people in that situation? And often, like, you know, I, don't, I don't know that I have anything I can say. But what I can do is pray. And what we can do is pray because guess what? We, we believe in a Jesus. No matter how hard the heart or no matter how blind the eyes, we believe in a Jesus who's in the blindness caring business. We believe in a Jesus who's in the heart transplant business. We're in a Jesus, we believe in a Jesus who heals wounds, who calls those who are walking in isolation and brings them into the family, who tells stories about prodigal sons who knew what it was like to be in the family and left to follow the world came to the end of themselves and got welcomed back in with celebration. So my last question for you is, do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love his church? And if not, know that we're praying for you. And you, and, and you can pray for you. You feel blind, like, like right? Blind men call out and Jesus says, I'm here to heal you. Hearts of stone, <clears throat> I, I just, something isn't right. Jesus can change that. Jesus can change that. And then he can place you with a new family, with new siblings, where you get to walk in the light, in gospel community, where we're loving one another, we're loving God, we're being reminded that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. We can, we're all saved by Jesus' work. We can be changed by Jesus' grace. And he calls us beloved so that we can live out these new lives, living out the command to love God, encourage, admonish, equip one another, to keep one another from stumbling, keep pointing each other to the true light that overcomes the darkness when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, you're good for us. Lord, I thank you for, thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray where, where maybe somebody's self-assessment today <laughs> found lacking. Lord, that they would look to you for mercy and grace and know that your, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, that you supply what we don't have. Lord, that a bad self-assessment doesn't have to lead to humiliation, but 
If it leads us to humility, God, that can lead us to life and to honor that comes from following and trusting you, Jesus. But I thank you, God, that while your standard is perfection and we've all fallen short of it because of sin, God, that your desire for us is humility, repentance, salvation, and faith. Holy Spirit, bring life to new hearts, open the eyes of the blind, and bring brothers and sisters home for your glory and for their joy. In Jesus' name, amen.